Chapter 9 of Jerry McCauley, His Life and Work by Jerry McCauley and edited by Robert M. Offord. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kristen Hand. Chapter 9 Evil Schemes Frustrated. Their hearts shall not be moved who in the Lord confide, but firm as Zion's hill they ever shall abide. As mountains shield Jerusalem, the Lord shall be a shield to them. While possessed of a native shrewdness, which, sanctified as it was, helped him much in his work, Jerry did not forget to seek wisdom from on high. But for this, he would no doubt have been deceived to his cost again and again. As it was, the Lord cared for his servants, and the well-planned devices of the enemy were constantly frustrated. One or two cases Jerry thought worthy of record, and they are appended. We have met a great many frauds while engaged in this work. But the greatest of all, the very queen of frauds, appeared in our history one time, and I have no doubt that the Lord himself had not overthrown her designs, a terrible reproach would have been put upon both my wife and me, and we might have been entirely ruined and our work broken up. We were down at Asbury Park for a few days' rest when this creature came upon the stage of action. Brother and Sister S. had been to their regular services at the John Street Church, and were on their way home to Williamsburg when they thought they would stop into the mission for a few minutes, inquire after our health, and to get a drink of ice water or lemonade. They had talked a while with the janitor and were just going away, it being after ten o'clock, when there was a sudden rap at the outside door. When the janitor opened it, he found a fine-looking young woman standing there. He let her in, then the visitors listened to her story. The girl stated that she was homeless and friendless, and being at a loss where to go, had stepped up to a policeman a few moments before knocking at her door, and inquired of him where she could find a respectable night's lodging. He did not treat her properly, she said, and turning from him, she raised her eyes and saw the mission. She knew she would be safe with Christian people, and so without hesitation knocked at the door. Her previous history was a sad one, and our friends listened to it with the deepest interest and sympathy. Her father, she said, had been wealthy up to a short time before his death, and when he died he left her $3,700 in care of her brother, who was older than she was. The brother became intimate with the son of a rich gentleman where he boarded, who was a fast young man, and soon led him into dissipation. His constitution, not strong at best, gave way under his excesses, and he went into hasty consumption and soon died. Just before his death, he gave his sister's money to this young associate to turn over to her. The man promised faithfully to carry out the dying request of his late comrade, but as soon as the latter was laid in his grave, he went on a long spree and kept it up until the money was all gone, his own health broken, and he also brought to death's door. When he died, all hope of ever getting her money vanished as the father refused to be held for the debt. In this condition, she wandered around until she knocked at the mission door for protection. Mr. and Mrs. S. were greatly interested in her story, and when she concluded, they proceeded to find a place where she could stay until morning, as it would not do, on account of the speech of the people, to leave her there alone with the janitor for the remainder of the night. After a great deal of trouble, they found accommodations for her and went home. She paid her own bills and afterwards got a boarding place in Monroe Street and came to the meetings every night. We came home about this time, and supposing, as a matter of course, they had investigated the matter, we took her into our confidence and did all we could for her. 
My wife felt a little uneasy sometimes about Jessie, as she called herself, and then, blaming herself for her suspiciousness, treated her more kindly than before. My eyes began to be opened after a while by some of her actions when off her guard. Once, when my wife and I were talking about coming to 32nd Street to open the Cremorne mission, the girl overheard us and exclaimed without thinking, Oh, good, I'm glad of it. I'm well acquainted up there around the Cremorne guard. She caught herself suddenly, but her prudence came too late. I was looking her square in the eyes and saw her confusion like a flash. I said nothing, however, until she left the room, when I turned to my wife and remarked, she is from that neighborhood, after all. This put us on our guard, but we feared to do her injustice or hurt her feelings by showing any suspicions until we were certain that she was playing a game. She came running in one day shortly after, appeared in great glee as she exclaimed, Oh, good news! Good news! I've got word from that father, and he is going to pay me back with interest the full amount his son squandered for me. I tell you what I'll do, she continued excitedly. I'll give it all to you to start that mission up in 32nd Street. Won't that be grand? I heard her words, saw her earnest and apparently honest manner, and she seemed so enthusiastic and generous, I began to believe in her again and to scold myself for my suspicions. Of course I was glad to hear her offer of the money, for I was then very much exercised about how I was going to get the means to open the expected mission uptown. I intended to put a mortgage on a little property I owned and put in all my own available cash with what I could raise in other ways, but all this would be far too little for even a fair start. Here, thought I, is the whole thing worked out for us. I now proposed to myself to accept her offer and secure her by the proposed lien on my property until the first anniversary, when it would be an easy matter to return her the money again with interest. The skies looked all bright again for my proposed 32nd Street mission. When will you go, I asked her after a while, to receive the money. Oh, she replied, in about three weeks from today. I will take you and Mrs. Macaulay with me, and we will go over and get it and bring it to Mr. H., and take a receipt for it. We can then draw it as we want to. After the three weeks had gone by and she made no move to go after it, I asked the reason and she answered, Oh, I've concluded to get it expressed to my boarding house and then take it to the bankers. I thought it strange that she would have so large an amount sent to a boarding house, but held my tongue, determined to hide my suspicions until the proper time. Shortly afterwards came the closing of the plot. She came in one evening and told us the money had been sent over as proposed and was now at the house in Monroe Street, all done up in envelopes. All right, I answered. As soon as meeting is over, we will go down and get it. The meeting went on as usual, and after it was over, we started out with her to bring home the three or four thousand dollars. We went together to the house, and leaving us standing on the sidewalk, she went into the house to get the money. I felt a misgiving that she would not come out again, or that we were in some way having a job put upon us, and turning to my wife, as the front door closed upon our guide, I said, There she goes, and we will see her no more. Yes, we will see her again, was the positive reply, and sure enough, in a little while, out came the lady with the packages of envelopes. Have you got it? I asked when she reached the pavement. Yes, it's here all right, she replied. Here it is, handing a package to my wife. It's all done up correct and in good shape. All right, I answered, pushing the package back into her hands. You keep it and walk ahead with Mrs. McCauley, and I'll follow close behind to protect you if needed. The fact that she wanted one of us to carry the valuable package struck me as rather strange, and as I was determined to be on the lookout for any plot that might have been cooked up to get us in trouble or entrap us, 
then say we had appropriated the money. So satisfying myself that my revolver was all right, in good condition and handy if needed, I followed them slowly, watching carefully every dark alley and doorway, and every sharp corner, thinking that at any minute some fellow might spring suddenly upon us as we passed through that dangerous locality. The whole thing seemed so odd that I felt pretty sure there was to be some strange ending to it all for the idea had grown upon me that there was some deep-laid plot against us to injure our work, and I was determined not to be caught napping. Whether she was afraid to give the signal, seeing we were so fully on our guard or not, I can't say, but anyway, there was no attempt at harming us, and we reached the mission in safety. Calling in one other as a witness, I turned to the girl and said, Now, Jessie, I want you to stand where you are and open those packages and show us the money before this witness. Oh, it's all here, she replied, then fumbling over the envelopes as if examining their contents, she continued, yes, it's all right, in checks, and you take it just as it is. We won't count now, it is so late, and we're all so tired. We can all come together first thing in the morning and count it out all right. Pull them out and count them now before we go to bed, I exclaimed, as I saw a flash of lightning through the whole dodge. You can't leave that package in our care and then ruin us by swearing in the morning that we stole the money out during the night. Open them quick. She trembled like a leaf, and the packages on being opened were found to have nothing in them. Who put you up to that infernal trick? I said to her sternly as I fixed my eyes upon her face. Come out with it. Whose plan is it? Everything else having failed, this was the last hope, was it? She refused to answer, however, nor could we ever learn positively who was at the bottom of it. I shall always believe, however, that it was a put-up job. Thus did the dear Lord interfere again to save us from the plots of our unprincipled enemies, as he had done before and has so many times since. The girl, seeing she was caught beyond escape, got awfully scared at the prospect of arrest and imprisonment, and broke down, sobbing and crying like a child. She made some acknowledgments, but refused to give any names. She wept bitterly, and what do you suppose we did then? Knelt right down there and prayed for her, with our own hearts all melted up with gratitude to God for the wonderful deliverance he had just wrought for us, and cared for her until she could get ready to leave. Those who know Jerry best will recognize him readily in the following incident given in his words. A fellow came in one day shaking all over as if he had the palsy. He trembled like a leaf from head to foot. "'What's the matter?' said I. "'Oh, the Lord sent me here?' "'I don't know whether he did or not,' I returned, for he looked like a deadbeat. "'Did no one else send you?' "'Yes,' he answered slowly, pulling a dirty, crumpled paper from his pocket, which he had probably carried about six months. I looked at him sharply when he exclaimed, "'Oh, help me. I've got the horrors. I'm almost dead. Do help me.' I pitied the poor fellow, so I took him in without further questioning, let him upstairs and put him to bed, called a doctor and did all I could for him. I could not do much with him spiritually, for he claimed to be a Christian and all right. It is true, he said, I drink a little, but they all do that where I came from. He was taken worse one day and was so cramped that he was sure he was going to die right off. Oh, oh, he screamed, I'm going to die. I knew he wasn't in a very bad way, so concluded to improve my opportunity. Oh, you're all right, you know, you'll only go to heaven anyway. Oh, but I can't die so. Oh, yes, I continued, you can. It isn't hard for a Christian to die, you know. Oh, oh, help me. I'm dying. Why? You ought to be happy. Why don't you sing? Oh, oh. 
It's glorious, ain't it, to be a Christian? Oh, oh. Why, my friend, you ain't scared, are you? And so I talked with him in this way until he became ashamed, and then I said to him soberly, Now, my friend, you ought to get right with God. Just see how frightened you were when the first pain touched you. Oh, why don't you get saved? I failed to get him out clear, though he claimed to be grateful and made great promises of help to the mission when he got well. One day he left, and we supposed he had gone for good, when a few days afterwards, in he walked with a bundle of dirty clothes under his arm. When I approached him, he said, Jerry, the Lord sent me to you to have these clothes washed. Did he? I said. Well, the Lord sent me to fire you out. And out he went like a rocket, dirty clothes and all. End of chapter 9